0: Of a probable outcome, the numbers lead a dance. I know that the spades are the swords of a soldier. I know that the clubs are weapons of war. I know that diamonds mean money for this art. But that's not the shape of my heart. He may play the Jack of Diamonds. He may lay the queen of space. He may conceive a king in his hand, while a memory of it fades.
1: Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. Joining us this week, special guest Jim Waters, president and CEO of Bluegrass Institute for Public Policy Solutions, otherwise known as BIPs. Also in the studio, Aaron Amberman, who's chairman of the board of BIPs, Missy Clifton, and our host, Tom Dupree. It's a room full today, and we're powered by Dupree Financial Group.
2: So I've been listening to this guy named Rick Beato, Who has a YouTube channel. He's a musician and he also interviews musicians and he did an interview with Sting and he talked about this song and the the different chord changes in it. The thing I like about Rick is that he compares contemporary music to classical music and you can really learn about music by listening to this guy's YouTube channel, Rick Beato, B-E-A-T-O, and there's just a a lot of great stuff on YouTube anyway. All right, let me get to the Psalm 36, Psalm 36, keep it going a little bit, I like listening to that song, Uh, verse 6, thy righteousness is like the great mountains, thy judgments are a great deep, O Lord. Thou preservest man and beast. How excellent is Thy loving kindness, O God. Therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of Thy wings. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of Thy house. And Thou shalt make them drink of the river of Thy pleasures. For with Thee is the fountain of light. In Thy light shall we see light in uh, verse 11, let not the foot of pride can come against me and let not the hand that not the wicked move me. So, I was talking to Jim just prior to this and uh, Bips, you know, has, it, we're now coming up on 20 years and I'm a former board member myself. Um, Bips, Bips, you know the way that we describe it. It's we're we're not a political advocacy group. We're not a pack. We're more like a think tank, really. Right. Is that and, and therefore we're nonpartisan. But the trajectory of BIPs has been to basically expose things that are going on primarily in government, almost exclusively in government, that some people would rather not have exposed and basically shine the light on them. And there are a network of groups like BIPs throughout the country. Uh, each uh, different states have them. But this one is very unique in the sense that we're not funded You know, by some big uh, billionaire or somebody like that, we have people that 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 help us, but it's mainly donations. We're not like uh, uh, the Center for Progress down in Berea that's in George Soros's pocket, or somebody like, and then they pull the same guy out every time and interview him, and and they don't have to worry about raising money. So BIPs B I pps.org. If you hear us saying something that you think is interesting uh, today, uh, you can you can think in terms of maybe making a donation because this organization, I've been around them for a long time. They do solid work, good work, and they dig hard. Jim, I'm
3: glad you're on the show today. It's great to be here, Tom. You know, we we advocate for. Uh, for free market ideas. You know, every idea we advocate for is based on free market principles. And our work is supported by people who benefit from those policies, you right. know, who are, or who are thinking about the next generation, you know, benefiting or having, uh, you know, change that positive change in Kentucky. When we started the Institute, the s was intentional solutions. Uh, right. We didn't want to just write white papers and write reports that may have good information, but nobody knew any, nobody Got exposed to it. There wasn't any plan to get those ideas up and out. Right. So we wanted to focus on solutions uh, to serious issues, real problems that Kentucky has. So, uh, for example, our pension system. You know, we've yep. uh, we've we've worked on that. We don't we don't choose the easy ones. No, we no. choose the hard ones. Uh, but we've begun to make some progress with this. But it's a sometimes Tom, it's a generation long uh, effort. It Takes a you long know? time. It really. So does. you guys have something like five initiatives. You're working on right now is that correct yeah, well we've actually got three major focuses okay and um and one of those is uh is education freedom that's at the top of our list Um right. you've heard what's been going on in jefferson county with the bussing <laughs> issue and the mess down there uh, it's a huge district that's out of control it's okay. a two billion dollar so district. in a so, nutshell yeah,
2: because people hear stuff on the news you know and and you don't have to go into a big detailed thing what happened there that got things so screwed up with the buses and is it a, is it is that problem simply a symptom of bigger yeah. problems, yeah. which is what I think is the case. Yeah.
3: Yeah, it is. They, you know, for one thing, for example, they use software that had failed elsewhere. You know, it's just incompetence. Good Lord. But here's the thing is parents who are unhappy with what's going on there, a lot of them don't have many options, you know, no. and so we have to create More, We have to expand educational freedom in our state. We have to offer parents choices. And that would be charter schools. Well, we need public choices. That's a public choice. A charter school is a public option. But we also need other kinds of options. You know, we need to be able to provide scholarships for low-income parents whose kids are trapped in failing schools. Uh, We need all kinds of options here. And the good news is we're moving in that direction. The momentum's on our side. And this thing that happened can only help you get, it's going to cause
2: people to listen.
3: Well, it's like COVID. When COVID hit, parents started paying attention, Tom, to what was happening and what was not happening. Yeah. in their schools and what they found they didn't like. Yes. And, the, for example, this grassroots parents group in, in Jefferson County, they started with the express purpose of getting their schools reopened. Yeah. You know, when COVID shut down and the governor shut everything down and the school board there wouldn't listen to parents, and here parents are in the morning driving by the Catholic schools or the Christian other Christian schools or other private schools, and they're open and their kids are getting educated, and the parents were getting frustrated but what we did is we tapped into that we tapped into that and said it's really a bigger issue we need we need choice and options for all kentucky kids well and these parents got on board with us yeah the the kentucky let's let's don't kid ourselves
2: everything that takes place in education in Kentucky is driven by the teachers union. They tell you what you can do, what you can't do. If, if something happens in Frankfurt that they don't like, they flood the place with bodies. So And money. <laughs> yeah. And money. And you're dealing with that. And, and, and our former governor kind of ran afoul of them in a way that he probably shouldn't had. And it, it helped to get him beat. So we know they have political power, but they're all about preserving jobs, and and they, you know they, what
3: they're about, Tom. They're about the system. The system. We're saying, what about the students? Exactly. You know? I mean, you know, I, every
2: time students. I see a Fayette County school uh, truck drive by, it says it's about the kids. I'm thinking, Geez, are you kidding me? It's about everything
3: but the kids. It, exactly. You know, it's uh, about it's about the adults. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's about it's what about they want. The adults. And and Tom, unfortunately, it's about protecting a failing. Or at best, a mediocre system for most Absolutely. kids. Absolutely, and we and don't want
2: anybody getting too smart. If, you know, if,
3: if what was if the approach it was being taken was working, yeah. why are only one in three kids in Kentucky reading proficiently? Why are one in three reading at the lowest level? It why are why why are only fourteen percent of our black students reading proficiently? Okay. okay,
2: Missy's done some pretty interesting research. One of the things she's noticed: truancy levels have skyrocketed and i think it's pretty much since covid
1: chronic absenteeism was the is the, what they is call the term it. if you look at the they used to call <laughs> it yeah, truancy but,
3: but remember what happened during covid uh, they went to the online learning now here here's the thing is the public system was not prepared for that they didn't do a good job with it and they and guess who got hurt the most the low income kids and many of the minority kids we know that 10,000 kids in jefferson county after the first couple of weeks did not get an education for the rest of the year. But Tom, they didn't go back.
1: That's the point. Even when the schools opened, some of these kids did not go back (laughs) like you thought they would. Okay, the doors are open. We're all now going to, you
3: know. That shows the disconnect between the leadership And what's really happening, okay? Between the bureaucracy, again, between the system. When you're thinking about the system and protecting the system, those are the kinds of decisions you don't think about. Well, what is it that's going to cause kids to come back and be engaged, and how can we make up the ground we've lost? It's not about that. It's about protecting the power and money. Here's
2: the thing that we're seeing is going on in Fayette County. As as uh, demographic lines sort of begin to flatline, and then you've got this increased truancy, this school system cannot help themselves but buy more property, go out and we, – so we, we have in Lexington a particularly crazy situation, a combination of spending more and more money on properties that are not even getting close to fully utilized – but they want to spend more money and more money because you get your property tax money coming in. And I don't know if that's going on in other districts around Kentucky, but what's happening is we're seeing not as many school-age kids these days, and yet they're building schools and continuing to
3: build more, build, not always schools, but Other kinds of things. Well, in Jefferson County, uh, you think that's crazy here, but they raised taxes while the schools were shut down. (laughs) They raised taxes during COVID. No, that makes sense. Again, again, what this has to be, and I would encourage your listeners and parents and Christians who really care about what's going on, because we were talking about that, to start thinking about those dollars that come in for education, what are they for? I mean, they're for educating and preparing students to be successful. We're not doing that. We're not doing that in Kentucky. We know in states that have options. We know in Florida, we know in Arizona, we know in Indiana, we know in other states around us that when parents have options, it forces the public system to pay more attention to the students it forces them to do a better job now what you're going to hear in the next year because there's going to be a constitutional amendment most likely to remove the last barrier that we have to school choice here but what you're going to hear is a lot of myths you're going to hear a lot of falsehoods about if we allow parents to have a scholarship that can't afford to send their child to a better school if we give them a scholarship A tax credit scholarship or an education opportunity account or whatever—that that's going to destroy public education. But Tom, forty-five other states already destroyed. Forty-five other states in America have options. Many of them have these private school options. And it's not only not destroyed the public education system, it's made them perform better. Yeah. Florida used to trail Kentucky in many of these key categories, but Dickens, our education research answer, you can find it on our website, has compared the performance of uh, Florida public schools as they've had more and more choice. And so don't believe this, that it's an absolute lie that school choice will destroy public education. In fact, it will make public education be more accountable to the taxpayer. How those dollars get spent uh, will be more transparent. They'll have to be, or they'll lose students, they'll lose money, they'll lose power, and that's what they care
2: education, about. Education, in a sense, is about competition. It's about competing with yourself. It's about you can't point. be educated if you don't have a sense you know, of of Otherwise, all that's happening is you're being indoctrinated. So there's a big difference between indoctrination and education. And there are a lot of people in our schools these days that really believe education is more about indoctrination. It's, not, it's, not a, it's about feeding people false narratives. And so, therefore, we also have to start looking at content. Well, that's We've right. We've
3: got to look at what we're teaching people. Yeah, the curriculum issue is huge. And one of the things that we want to do is bring more transparency to this by requiring uh, school districts to put the lesson plans and the curriculum they're going to use online yeah. so that parents know what to expect. And here's the thing about it, too. If we have options for parents – then, if a parent doesn't like what a school is teaching, then right now it's a really tough process to really uh, to really do anything about that. I mean, no. a parent can go to the board, but you know, it's an intimidating process. Uh, it's not parent friendly. It's not student friendly. It's not meant to be. But listen, if we have choices and options, and the school district knows that all a parent needs to do is say, hey, I'm not happy with what's going on here. I'm going to find something better for my child. Then they don't have to go through all that. And But right now, most of our state, there aren't those options. And in fact, we have none of those options in in our state. So with that, that's just, I think, a really important reason, too, to have more educational freedom and more liberty and more choices. Again, for whatever reason, here's the thing is, we need universal choice. Whatever your reason is for wanting a better education for your child, I mean, you should have that. You should have that ability to do that. Whatever your reason, if it's curriculum, uh, if you want your child to be in a, a math and science program, if you want your child to be in a in a, a fine arts program, whatever it may be, uh, you should have that. You should have that choice. And states where that's happening, states where that is going on, they're they're forcing their public system to improve. Because one of the things teachers unions will say to us is, well, if you have all these choices, what about the kids whose parents don't get engaged, who don't care, and they may not be in a good school for them, and they're stuck there. But here's the thing is, a rising tide lifts They're all stuck boats. there anyway. A rising tide lifts all boats. So we need to focus on students and not the system. When we begin to do that, we're going to see changes. I think that are going to be significant here. So education freedoms at the top of our list for obvious reasons. There, uh, but we also we also are concerned about economic opportunity. You know, here, um, you know, we've made some progress, Tom, in recent years. We've begun lowering the individual income tax, getting beginning to get phase that out. So um, we went from six percent
2: to four percent. Four percent. That was a BIPs initiative. Is that
3: correct? It has been on our. It has been for a long what, time. What so. pushed that over the finish line? Well, it didn't hurt that we have a super majority of Republicans in the in the House. Seriously, we're not. And
2: BIPs had we're, something to do with that, too. Well, here's you what You guys we, have let, been in. Let me explain. You, you guys we, have your fingerprints yeah, on a lot but, of this but, stuff. But let
3: me explain how we influence that. Because we're not a partisan organization. You're not a partisan. But here's, here's what happened. <laughs> you don't want to. When we started, we started looking at all these free market policies that we wanted to see yeah. happen. Well, then candidates, there were some candidates that wanted to challenge, challengers that got excited about this, and they wanted to run on right to work. They wanted to run on school choice. They wanted to run on pension reform, and they did, but they got beat because there hadn't been the effort, the education effort that BIPs then began to implement and educate uh, policymakers, parents, taxpayers, and so forth. And now, at one time, if you ran on those issues, you couldn't win. Now, if you don't talk about them, you're not going to well, win. Well, I might and add that Jim happened. has
2: been writing a column that's picked up by about 25 or 30 newspapers uh, in the state of Kentucky. Depending
3: on what week, they, we send yeah. it to all of them. Yeah. So, yeah. so, <laughs> so.
2: And, and sometimes they run it, sometimes they yeah. don't. But he's been writing a free market-based column for – a number of years. And, and 13 years. There, there's a bunch of... And then he sits in and does radio shows, so he's getting his voice out. We found that in our marketing is it's repetition. You have
3: to keep telling people over and over again. I said just about the time, I told some of our team, just about the time we get tired of talking about something is when people really begin to listen. It really is true. And so we have to educate. We saw the power of educating people when it came, for example, to right to work. Now, our governor's out there running around taking credit for a policy that the, the effects of a policy that he would have vetoed, which is kind of, I find that ironic. But you know what, who cares for us? Who gets the credit? Here's what goes on. Kentuckians are benefiting. We're growing as so a he, state. So he's he's and, saying he likes right to work. Well, now? no, he's saying he likes what right to work produced. Now he doesn't use that language. He talks about <laughs> new manufacturing. <laughs> but Tom, when we were doing that campaign, we were telling policymakers, we were telling legislators. I mean, at one point, this is going to happen.
2: Warren County was the only right to work county in in Kentucky. Wasn't well, it? they're it the, was first the first one in
3: way. the nation. It yeah. was the first county in the nation that passed right to work. Yeah. And then there were several other counties that did, and then several other counties wanted to, but then the unions filed a lawsuit and that put a a lid on that. Bottom line, though, is it was a ground-up movement. So many of the counties, Tom, that passed right to work in their counties were represented in Frankfurt by legislators who had voted against it because Greg Stumbo told them to. But now they were forced to change or get defeated because of what happened in their counties. All right, we need to go to a break. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show. Jim
1: Waters is our special guest today. He's president and CEO of Bluegrass Institute for Public Policy Solutions. We'll be back in just a few minutes with more of the Tom Dupree Show, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group.
0: The hidden law of a probable outcome The numbers need a dance Know that the are the swords
2: of a soldier. This is Tom Dupree at Dupree Financial Group. Our primary concern is getting you through retirement with enough money. In retirement, your monthly expenses don't go away. That's why we focus on investments that pay either monthly or quarterly income. Many folks have no idea of how to tap their retirement accounts. For monthly income, we'll show you how. We have 45 years of experience providing income-oriented investments. For a free review of your retirement investment accounts, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-2330-400. Also, be sure to listen to The Tom Dupree Show Saturday mornings on News Radio 630. WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859 233
0: 0400. Hot town, summer in the city, back of my neck getting dirt and gritty. Bend down, isn't it a pity? Doesn't seem to be a shadow
1: Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. Our special guest today is Jim Waters, President and CEO of Bluegrass Institute for Public Policy Solutions, otherwise known as BIPs. Also in the studio, Aaron Ammerman, who's Chairman of the Board of BIPs, Missy Clifton, our host Tom Dupree, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group.
2: It's John Sebastian and the Loving Spoonful from back in the 60s, and it's so hot. They don't Still make it like nice No, not, not like that. So, Jim, yeah. we were talking about BIPs, and you, have a, you want to say a little more about initiative number two, but you're also going to cover initiative number three, and then I'm going to ask you a couple other questions.
3: Tom, 40 years ago, Kentucky was as wealthy as the benchmark states that we now compete against. Uh, Indiana, North Carolina— uh, other states. But in that 40 year period, it's like all the horses come out of the shoe at the Kentucky Derby at the same time. And so all of them made some progress, right? But the problem is the other horses were on the other side of the track and we're, we're just really getting to the first turn. Yeah. Now we made some progress in, in closing that gap. And I think it's important to understand because it involves the current administration involves the current legislature the last two budget cycles have had huge budget surpluses. Now, these are one-time dollars. And we got COVID uh, money. We got COVID money as well from Washington. The governor wanted to create new government programs with that money. He, did. he said he wanted to save, but what he, he's also then in the same breath talked about spending it. Well, um, I know, think R- these guys, Ronald Reagan said. goes because, on in their yeah, brain. Ronald Reagan said. Ronald Reagan said that the closest thing to eternal life on the face of the earth is a new government program, because once you create it, once you start it um, you've got to um, you've got to find funding for it in future years. And that's going to mean tax increases. It's going to mean taking money from other programs, whatever it may mean. So I just want to point this out. The legislate, the bluegrass Institute said to the legislature when you look across the country at our rainy day funds, our budget yeah. reserve trust funds, we had one of the weakest in the nation, and one of the best defenses, Tom, against tax increases in the state is uh, a strong budget reserve trust fund. So the Pew Center, which analyzes all these reserve trust funds, said that Kentucky has gone from one of the worst to one to the twelfth strongest budget reserve trust fund in the country. Those things can change quickly. That's right. And that's why we That's right. You know, had a huge
2: surplus uh, a year or two ago, and now they're looking at a $22 billion
3: deficit. So that can be very quick. Well, that leads to our next... That's why one of the things we want to do is protect these wins that we have. Yeah. And one of the ways we can do that is with legislation that some other states have called a tax and expenditure limitation. Okay. So that... You, you have a formula, you tie future spending and taxes to a formula that includes population growth and cost of living or Would whatever Would this affect it is. local governments as well you as the state government? on the right Come on, side. come on. Okay, so one of the things we want to do is, no matter who gets elected in the future, we do not want our budget reserve trust fund to become a slush fund for politicians. I thought that's what it was. No, the governor wanted it too, but the legislators, to their credit, the leadership put those dollars into the rainy day fund. And you know what happened, Tom? This has real world implications. When that tornado hit in Bowling Green, Western Kentucky uh, a couple of years ago, the legislature was able to come right in and they were able to help that area with over $200 million Mm. check. When the flooding happened the next summer, last year, they were able to come in and do that. We couldn't do that before if we wanted to do that before we would have had to find the money from some other program, you know, under the couch cushion under the car seat. Right. Right. So now by having a strong reserve trust fund, that's what those dollars are for. We want to make sure the guardrails are put on there so that in the future, that can't be used for some new ongoing government program that's going to have to be paid for. So we want to tell and the states that have done this have benefited economically and strongly from this, the tax uh, the t- income tax okay. reduction. Go
2: to initiative number three. So, okay.
3: The inc- I'll just say the income tax reduction, also, we want to protect that. I got you. All right. The, th- the third initiative is uh, we have had all these wins, and then the left has gone to court to stop us on school So choice that happened uh, in with with the Bevin school choice. when
2: Bashir, he was much more right. aggressive than Daniel Cameron was. right. At, at going to court and Bashir went to court every time Bevan did something and really stymied him in many ways. And then he turns around and beats him in the governor so, so think
3: about this. In the It couldn't choice, happen to a nicer person. In I, the school I'm not a choice. In the school anyway, choice. Go ahead. In the school choice legislation that was passed in twenty twenty one. The governor vetoed that. They passed it by a single vote to spare. They overrode the veto by two votes. That's it. That's how fought. It was a hard fought debate. Well, I mean, you could expect but him to it veto to it, the but then to tie you up in court. But then again, it, got, it got to the courts, and the courts stymied it. The courts stymied it. One
2: guy in Frankfurt. One by guy the in way. Frankfurt. It isn't courts. And, it's court. Well, it's Philip Shepard in Franklin he uh,
3: He started it, and the Supreme Court at that time finished it. Okay. Now, the only Supreme Court in the nation that has ruled against a school choice bill like we had. The only one at state, federal, the U.S. Supreme Court has said these programs are constitutional. So that would be Larry Van Meter. That, that, and the uh, liberal from Louisville, who's that was her, one of her last cases, uh, yeah. Abramson from yeah. Louisville. Yeah. But she's no longer on there. So we'll see what happens with the charter school bill that's going through the same now, thing. Here's the good news. It's, I don't know what Larry The good news be, is. Or they used to be or yeah. He's probably going to be. A he Democrat. voted against it, too. He did. Yeah, that's that's that whole family. Here, that's the, that
2: whole inner bluegrass, right. you know. The I, Supreme don't me Court going.
3: in their ruling said, if you want to have school choice, you have to have a constitutional amendment. Here's that's the good pretty news. hard to do. Now, here's that's the good 60,
2: What is that, 60%? Yeah. Uh, in the
3: legislature. No, they'll no, that's got to go to the voters. It'll be a simple majority of voters. It'll be the so, simple majority. So they went
2: from 60% of voters to no. 51 15, but it's got
3: to go on the ballot. It's got to go on the ballot. So what happens in this next legislative session is they will put it on the ballot. The legislators are supporting this. This has strong support in the House. The Senate will support it as well. It's going to go on the ballot. And then in the presidential election in November, next November, it will be on the ballot. The good news is this. Our opponents on this have, in both the public charter school case and the private school case. They've used the same arguments. We remove that obstacle and Kentucky can become one of the biggest school choice states in the nation. Good. It can happen. It's going to cost us to get this done. It's so going what to do we need to resources. do here? Well, we need to have a campaign, a coalition of strong support for school choice. We need the resources to do it and it can be done. It's. I'll been make done. a pledge right now. Okay,
2: We're going to, we're going to, we'll, we will... We will put something behind yeah. this. But it's going uh, but, but but to. Well, hold side? on. Hold on a minute. Yeah. We haven't set an amount. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll tell you. So I want to know what you're going to do. If, if we're going to. You, here's know, you what tell me what you,
3: you had. Tell me how this works. Okay. Here's how this works is. First of all, <laughs> we have to have the government affairs effort to get it on the ballot, which which we're very positive about that. Is the, that hiring a new person? it's it's bringing on someone to help with a campaign that's what it's going to amount to Uh, and we want to bring on an education policy director who will be involved in uh, leading this effort for for bips but it's going to take it's going to take a big effort and here's the thing is the other side is going to pour all kinds of money into this because it's going to be the only mainly school choice uh issue in the country this is going to be ground zero for school choice next Kick year. Kick their butt. So it's going to take significant resources, but it, it, it can happen. I believe it's going to happen, but we need a strong coalition of supporters, both individuals and groups. We're working on that. We know who those people need to be, uh, and we need to we need to have the resources to do it. If we do, then every time the other side comes out with a myth or with some thing they're trying to say that's not true, we can be there to hit back. We can hit back. And we cannot allow, you know, seven people in black robes to stop thousands, tens of thousands of parents in Kentucky from having a better education. You're going to go
2: around and and put it on the
3: ballot. So what needs also needs to happen is we want to find influencers all across the state in all these counties. It may be the legislator. You know, one of the biggest challenges we have on this issue is not Democrat or Republican because there aren't that many Democrats in Frankfurt anymore, it's actually rural Republicans who are in, school, in districts where the schools are the biggest employers. Yeah. So they're, they're telling them, if you support this, the superintendents who filed the lawsuit against school choice, they're telling the legislators, if you support this, we'll find someone to run against you. So they're up against that. Yeah. So we need to educate people out, as outside of Louvre, outside of Frankfurt, outside of Lexington. It needs to be a statewide effort. And if if we can I got some ideas up, for you, yeah.
2: we'll talk about it.
3: And and we could we this has happened, it can happen. And here's the great news is we're in the midst of seven surrounding states, most of which Indiana has universal choice. Indiana has been so successful with their school choice that the public schools have been advertising on billboards saying, our test scores have improved. Come back to our school. How would you like to see that in Jefferson County? How would you like to see that in Northern Kentucky or Fayette County or, or Bowling Green? Well, Northern Kentucky
2: is one of the more free
3: enterprise-tilted places in the in not education-wise. Yeah. Not education-wise. What about wise. Bowling Green? Bowling Green, the superintendent of the Warren County Schools, has led the effort in court to stop this. He has led the effort to he stop is, school choice. to stop school choice. So, uh, so the, the, gonna, the
2: areas are very progressive economically, but the, the education is. But if we don't solve this, if we
3: don't get no, this it's going to
2: keep us in the dark ages and it's we, only going to get worse. We
3: can create all the jobs we want to. We can have all the new announcements we want to. But companies are going to look at. Do you have an educated workforce? Do you have a workforce that can fill these jobs successfully? Can we be successful? And when you look at Tennessee, which is down near Bowling Green, all kinds of choice, all kinds of uh, options for parents. So the good news is we're surrounded by it. (laughs) And I think that uh, that's going to play a major role with legislators as well. Okay. So one of the
2: things that we find in this county, city county, Let's let's pivot to local government. Okay. Uh, the the way that a budget gets really reviewed and that there's there's no public input. The mayor produces the budget, and they pass it without asking any of the departments to make hard choices. So what's happening is that every year they're running a deficit budget. Each year it gets bigger. The police and fire. Uh, pension plan here is is a separate thing it's not part of the state plan it's got issues what do we do what 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 is there going to be any kind of transparency bills that are coming through the legislature that are going to require local governments to be more transparent and better at at allowing for public input showing where money could be saved, which it's not. They're just finding ways to spend it because they know nobody's looking over their shoulders. This is a real problem in Lexington yeah. and
3: in our urban Fayette County government. Yeah. So one of the big debates that's going to occur in Frankfurt that will have an impact on what you're talking about, it won't completely solve it, but it'll have a big impact, and that is on whether local governments will be allowed to raise their sales taxes. And what's well, gonna, what we're doing is we're saying, we're saying this. We're saying what needs to happen at the local level is what's already happened somewhat at the state level. The occupational tax, which is the local income tax, needs to come down, needs to go away. If you're going to allow local communities. You take the occupational tax away here, government shuts down.
2: It used to be something they added. They were going to sunset it. It was well, supposed to have been sunset over twenty years ago.
3: Yeah, we're gonna recommend that they begin to sunset this and that as local communities want to raise a tax, they'll have to get legislative approval for it. But here's here's the Bluegrass well, Institute's role in this. I'd like is, to see this happen. We're saying this. Any tax policy must must adhere to three principles. One is it has to be revenue neutral at a minimum. It cannot add to the taxpayer burden. If I'm a taxpayer and the local government passes a tax increase, or the state government passes a tax increase, whoever, if it increases my burden, it's not acceptable, it's unacceptable. And then it has to be a tax that doesn't move us closer to taxing income and retirement savings. It must be a tax that is based more toward consumption-based tax, which right. we know works in other states. And the other is it has to favor a wide audience, individuals and entrepreneurs, not narrow special interests like a lot of these TIFs have and so forth. Here's the thing is groups like the Kentucky League of Cities, the Kentucky Association of Counties, they want to give local governments a blank check. And and we're saying that's unacceptable, that cannot happen because here we have at the state level reduced taxpayer burdens, we're phasing out the individual income tax, we cannot turn around and allow local governments to increase that burden. And here's the thing is, if there is restraint on what can be done in terms of raising taxes, that means they will have to be restrained in their spending as well. One of the things we want to do at the Institute is we want to create an annual analysis of Kentucky's economy from a free market perspective. Well, part of that's gonna be, I'm sure, looking at what's going on in our larger areas versus what's happening in, in the urban areas. But the interesting thing about spending, government spending in Kentucky is, we've become a much more red state politically speaking right with the presidential elections but see how that lag has happened it was the presidential elections first the congressional elections and now we've got a state the house that's a uh, super majority republic you're going to find lots of resistance but in these right and i'm going to tell you where it's really going to
2: hit these quasi-governmental agencies that kind of that's work that's what takeovers is that's what klc the keiko is. uh yeah. the the thing that built all the courthouses, these big That's, old courthouses right. all over Eastern Kentucky. That, here's what I was going to say about that: is Those are all, able, ta- they're, right. they're getting their finger in the pie. Lexington right. Fayette Urban County's got them. You know, right. it's got the library, it's got uh, the Visit Lex. They all have right. these dedicated line items, and you can't touch them.
3: <laughs> well, you
2: in, know what I'm saying? In
3: Kentucky – What's happened is we've become red politically, but our government spending, tax policy, per capita incomes, it looks more like New York or Illinois, a blue state. So what we've got to do is, and what you're talking about point. is exactly right. What we what we did at state government, you know how we began to make really big progress on spending and taxes? It was through transparency issues. Several years ago, we held a press conference at the Capitol, and some of the legislative leaders were there. They began to say, we're going to put the checkbook online. You can find out much that more. That needs to be
2: done right here well, in Lexington. But that's the lag. See, so
3: income taxes oh, need horrible. to come down, right? Right here. Uh, more transparency. I'm not even going to tell you yeah. what
2: kind of check I wrote to both. This. Here's the other thing. our Andy Barr let me down. I can't even deduct my uh, property tax anymore. I mean, you know, so you write this stuff. You're a business owner. You're, you're an entrepreneur. And you don't get a tax break like you used to. It's just straight out of the hip.
3: We have to begin to move on I mean, tax policy. You got to listen to
2: guys like me. That's I'm right. a job creator. That's right. I can create more jobs if,
3: if I'm and given. And government doesn't create anything. No, it doesn't. And you have you have a Lexington Fayette County government that's has a budget of almost a half billion dollars. It's over it now. This whole this whole debate on it's about four hundred seventy three million.
2: That was last year. I think it's over. That was over five hundred. I I got
3: okay. It's over. Yeah. But here's the thing: take this take this debate on the affordable housing issue. Take this debate. How much do taxpayers really know about this? And what I found out was. Developers are saying, you're mandating that we build homes for under $100,000, but your regulations as a city government, local government, are costing us 50000 before we even begin to yeah. build. It's how so, can yeah. they do that? They can't do it. So there's an example of how we can remove government interference because government doesn't have anything to give anybody that it doesn't first take from somebody. You're a creator, you're a job creator, you're you're creating things, but government doesn't do that. Government can only take from one and give to the other. So what there needs and what we found is I have a lot of confidence, Tom, in our voters and in our taxpayers, in our citizens. If you tell them what's happening. (laughs) Well, wait a minute. If you tell them what's happening, which we did at the state level, they began to demand from their legislators change. I'm
2: glad you're on here because I've been, like, eight or ten weeks, I've been telling them all they're stupid. But anyway... No, I mean, well,
3: give them give them good information though. How many? No, how ma- th- that's that's what you're talking about. That's that's, that's
2: absolutely yeah. true.
3: And that's what BIPS does. BIPS educates people. We don't need to take, but we're Listen, not political. We if don't I thought be.
2: people were stupid, I wouldn't do this show. That's right. It's just a way of trying to wake people up. Get your head in a spot where you can hear. BIPPS, That's Bluegrass Institute of Public Policy Solutions. We've been speaking with Jim Waters, who's the president of BIPPS. I've known Jim for a number of years. I know him to be a wonderful man of vision, faith, and action. Thanks for being on the show thanks today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm just and so glad. Aaron
3: Ammerman, our board chairman. For Aaron's being been team. an Thank incredible <laughs> board chair. Yes, he has. A
2: steady influence, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, he, he's done a, a great job. For the organization. So. And to
1: Missy Clifton, who is our chief of research. And good she job. keeps us on our toes with the details. <laughs> yeah, she
2: does a great job. I'm sorry. I,
1: uh, one, you've good been out. listening to the Tom Dupree Show. As Tom mentioned, Jim Waters, president and CEO of Bluegrass Institute for Public Policy Solutions, has been joining us. We will be back in just a few minutes with our financial hour. You've been listening to Tom Dupree Show, and we are powered by Dupree Financial Group. Stay tuned.
0: Hot town, summer in the city. Back of my neck, getting dirty and gritty.